0: Hey, folks. I'm Tom. I'm KJ. You know the drill. We're back again to talk about the Dunlap Champions Club. You know, just because football season goes away after the fall every year, unfortunately, the Dunlap Champions Club does not. And we've told you this before, but it's a great event space that you should consider for your team, family, organization, whatever it is. Space, space and more
1: space. Anything from 10 to 15 people or I'm told as many as 800
0: can be accommodated. Uh, they, they've got space. They do. They've got uh, – if you've been in the Dunlap Champions Club, you know we're talking about the fourth floor and the sixth floor, really, of the University Center Club. But the fourth floor is 20,000 square feet, floor-to-ceiling windows, overlooks Bobby Bowden Field. They can set it, you know, whatever you want, plated function, theater seating, cocktail reception. If you like uh, the terrace, the little outdoor – and and actually – this time of year. Yeah, yeah, I might not suggest it for late July, early but, but August. this time of year. This time of year, I think that's an option. The same thing up there, cocktail reception. They'll set it however you want. Just consider it. It's uh, it, it really is a great space. I've, I've been to several functions there. I'd encourage you to do the same. 850-644-1830 for ticket information, or you can call and schedule a private tour. And now, without further ado, Front Row Knowles.
2: Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank studios in the capital city of Tallahassee. This is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener online at ctf.nu. Now, here's Tom and Keith.
0: Good day, everybody. Tom and KJ with you. How are you, Keith? I am doing well. Actually, wonderful would be a better word. Because we have a coach or other reasons? That's
1: part of it, but the, the, the having the coach is one part of it. Being able to look at how the coach got here and what
0: the coach is doing since he's been here is probably the bigger part of it. That obviously is where we will focus our discussion today. I'm sorry that I just annoyed you moments before we started the show. Well, it's a natural weekly thing if we don't talk during the week. It is. As we have expressed plenty of times, and we quite frequently don't talk at all during the week, we do no prep. So right before the show, I said, I actually sent myself some notes, and Keith looked at me with an incredulous look on his face. Who are you? And said, you did prep? So I just want to clarify, this is not prep. This is simply a list of topics, much like when you go to the grocery store for four things, then you get home and you only have three of them, and your wife goes, where's the bananas? Need a list. I'm, I'm I'm getting to that age. So do you, how how, I need do a list? You, how do you feel about b- the banana with the duct tape? By the way, I've never really lost any sleep over it, but obviously you have.
1: Well, it's a it's something that was in the paper the last couple of days. Some kind of art object is creating some type of conversation, and now a gal. Never, never mind. How do you feel about Mike Norvell? Wonderful. I I don't see given. Everyone else that was talked about, I don't see how they could have made a better decision. I don't know who the better decision person would have been. And that includes Bob Stoops, for all of you out there that
0: still think Bob Stoops is coming. We have said from the outset that time will tell. That's an obvious statement. Whether it was Bob Stoops or James Franklin or Matt Campbell or whatever other names they talked to that we don't know about, or whether it was Mike Norvell. But certainly he made a good impression, a strong impression. And a lot of the doubters, after they heard him speak and saw how organized he was and have seen what he's done in the last couple of days, they've been won over to some well, degree. Well, my comment is based more on
1: how I feel today, Wednesday, than how I felt Monday. Because I watched the press conference. I read the things that were being written on Monday. But then I read the things that were written on Tuesday, and I read the things that were written this morning and some of the reaction from Memphis and some of the reaction from uh, people that are associated with Norvell. And not to make a comparison, but I don't believe that when Coach Taggart left Oregon, there was this wellspring of people thanking him for all he had done for the Oregon program. Candidly, he'd only been there for a year. But you read anything from anybody at Memphis – and he left there as, as a savior almost, and, and candidly was. And that, to me, starts speaking to the difference between one versus the other, if you want to make that comparison.
0: Timing is everything, as they say. And the timing was not good for Taggart, certainly when he left Oregon, because he had just kind of – had that been year four – and then he moves over. A, he would have been more experienced at the Power Five level. But besides that, his his assistants might have been in better position to move with him, to follow him. There wouldn't have been that ill will. Instead, it was his dream job. He wanted to come here. He had only been at Oregon for nine months. There's other guys there now who are vying to become the head coach. Can't come with him. Oregon made it difficult in some place. Just... I'm not talking about his tenure, but purely from a timing standpoint, it also was the first year of the early signing period. There were a lot of things that worked against him coming in. The other thing that spoke to me, and
1: then I'll I'll, I'll be interested in your comments, is learning that in the 2018 season, depending on how you count them, there were six, possibly seven, depending on how you count them, at least six assistant coaches at Memphis that left. So you go into the 2019 season, this year, And he's replacing six new people. And he still wins the conference championship and the conference title game for the first time in history. And all that we want to say negative about Jimbo, you do have to remember that in 2012... He replaced six coaches. Six coaches left. And in 2013, he won the national championship. Now, I'm not suggesting there's a direct parallel there. Keith Jones predicting a national No, I'm not saying there's a direct parallel. But what I am saying is one of the things that Coach Taggart did suffer with is he was never able to put his staff together, my opinion, the way he wanted to for whatever reason. Norvell had six vacancies handed to him and was able to put a staff together that could perform. And uh, the age-old thing, for those of us that played for Coach Bowden, you, you always knew Coach Bowden coached the coaches and the coaches coached the players.
0: I agree with you, and we didn't talk about this, but as we were, as I was doing homework on him leading up to and since, I think the thing I've been most impressed with is his ability to evaluate and hire good coaches. Because you look at where they've gone, and fans listening to this show know Auburn's offensive coordinator is coming here, but if you don't know, I mean, Georgia's defensive coordinator, Auburn's offensive coordinator, uh, Jimbo's offensive coordinator, Penn State special teams. I mean, all these people have been these quote replaced, unquote Norvell tree, yeah. I don't know if they were a tree by the time they left because they were there a year maybe or
1: two. A, maybe a seedling.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. But the point—a sapling. Is I, I thought that, that's impressive, and he he came out and said at his press conference that evaluation is the biggest thing he's got to do, not just players but coaches. So I think there's reason to be excited on that front. Now, subsequent to his press conference, he he took out a you know he wrote the article in the Memphis paper. Uh, all the feedback, as you've said, coming out of Memphis has been really positive. It's been unlike anything I've seen where the prior,
1: unlike anything I've seen. the prior school is just normally that happens when your coach retires and goes to the lake house up in North Georgia or something, not when he leaves you to take another job.
0: Well, if you widen it, how many times does a coach have a good exit? As good as Bobby was, not a good exit here. I mean, you're either going to retire, you're going to get fired. You generally don't go out on top, so to speak. He did for I mean, it's this is the, the highest point Memphis has ever reached and yet they still love him for getting him there, even though he's walking out before the Cotton Bowl. It is quite a remarkable story. Now, the second thing is he thought about it and whether there was pressure from FSU, pressure from Memphis, pressure from both sides. At some point, I think he realized that, you know what, coaching one football program team is hard enough. Coaching two at the same time, really an impossibility. So I'm glad glad that decision went here because Florida State fans will forever – Think about how Mark Rick's tenure ended when he got the Georgia job, but was still haven't scored. And Florida State lost the game. Had FSU won that game over Oklahoma, FSU folks would say, hey, it's a great idea. You can do both. And then Not I, the way it happened. And then I counter that, and
1: it's a little-known thing, and I hope I have the name right. I probably shouldn't say this without looking it up. But remember, um, you know, after those coaches' exits in, in 12, uh, I think it was D.J. Elliott that took on the role of interim defensive mm-hmm. coordinator when they played Northern Illinois. and and put together a very good game plan while he was also preparing to be a coach at another university. Uh, That showed me a great deal of maturity and professionalism on his part. Yes, it could go either way. There's no question.
0: Everything's been positive. The surprising thing, I was surprised by it too, because I had watched a press conference or two from him. I didn't necessarily expect that we'd get the it wasn't quite fire and brimstone, but it was certainly preaching on a Sunday at the pulpit from Mike Norvell. I wasn't sure we were going to get that. He retained Odell. That's a positive. I think we all knew that Odell comes with the furniture, you know, he's like furniture. He comes with the house, however you want to phrase right.
1: he, Odell, you're like luggage. We, 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 we keep we, you for life. We keep you for life.
0: Yeah, exactly right. Um, so the right decision to not coach the Cotton Bowl. Odell is going to coach Florida State in the Sun Bowl. So that's new news. We can save the El Paso talk for later in the program. The Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl, by the way. Great! Kenny Dillingham is the offensive coordinator. One of the things that's a byproduct of Norvell being young is his contemporaries are young. Are also young. Which means that they've not been in the profession as long, which means that they can be paid at a lower rate. That's just the way it works. So if you look at Dillingham, and I don't know what he's getting to come to FSU, but his contract at Auburn was 500 k and no buyout. And he doesn't call plays, so... I could be wrong, but there's no reason Florida State would need to go to a million or over it, which is where they were with Bryles. You could go to 700 or 600 even as he comes in. There, there is so, that. There is that. And that was never a reason to make the coaching hire, but a byproduct of going through this process and landing on Norvell is that it, it's going to be cheaper on the wallet and the budget. The one thing which, I... which short term may affect how many people renew season tickets and give, and we can talk about this later. But if you start winning, that problem solves itself. And so if you overpay right now for a coach, well, that helps you for nine months. But if he doesn't win, see the last guy and where we are. One of the things that I would like to see happen
1: in the macro world of coaches, and it has happened a little bit, is to put together uh, a compensation package that is heavily incentivized. And and I I think Florida State faithful can understand this. There's no one contract, in my opinion, that FSU's entered into better than the one they have with Leonard Hamilton right now. Leonard is is paid a base amount, which is at the middle to the lower third of the coaches in the ACC. But his incentives are such that I think either last year or the year before, he had the highest bonus of any basketball coach in, in the country. In other words, you're paying for performance. And uh, to the degree that you could move more towards that with football coaches and others, I think that would benefit universities as well. Easier to sell, so to speak.
0: I wonder if the conversation was easier than it was previously in that, so first of all, Norvell was not coming from a place where he was making over four mil a year. I mean, he was making two and a half. And what's been reported is that his contract is six years, three point seven per year. And I'm sure there is incentives in there. If those numbers are accurate, I mean, it's a one point three per year savings over what Willie was getting. But it's been but this, a one point one raise over what he was earning. Right, right. So it may have been very right. simple. I mean, it may have been I'm making two point five. You're going to pay me three point seven. Done. What I was going to say is that Jimmy Sexton's Sexton has been the same agent or the same agent with all three coaches. So you had the Jimbo mess. You had negotiations with, with Taggart. Uh, you could have just gotten in a room and said, hey, Jimmy, we've been beat up a little bit the last two years. We can't do another $20 million buyout. we got to make this manageable. And Jimmy said, well, i got good news. He's only making two and a half, so I don't have to charge you five or ask for five. We'll just start here. I don't know. I mean, I don't know how it went. But, that, that, so again, that's not the reason you hire him, but that's a byproduct. of Now, obviously, he starts winning 10 games. That contract will go up quickly. The same situation Ed O's in. Ed O has, was not paid very well as LSU's head coach because, frankly, he was their third choice, which, by the way, it does work out for those of you that believe that Norvell wasn't the first choice. Edo is going to significantly step. He's already made a million-plus in, in incentives and bonuses this year. He's going to step up when they redo his deal. Just looking at my, not show prep, it's just notes to make sure we hit on some other things. Notes to self. Notes to self. That's exactly what it is. Uh, He did clarify this morning on ESPN why there's a picture of him with cornrows. I know you've seen that picture. I did not hear the explanation, though. The explanation is that uh, he was coaching an inner-city youth uh, camp or youth team, whatever point that was when he was at Central Arkansas. And uh, either he proposed or they said, hey, coach, if we win, how about we do this? And he kind of joked about it and said, well, they're never going to win, so I'll take this bet, and then they won.
1: So it's kind of like shaving off the mustache or shaving off the beard or growing one or
0: vice versa. Keith, I'll give you a chance right now. If he wins 10 games this year, do you want to – we'll get – I mean – Have you seen my head? Yeah, cornrows would be tough. Yeah, you're right. Well, maybe we just shave it. I'll we win 10 games I'll shave my head all right are we recording do I need him to repeat that no Matthew's got it okay all right I'll do that Florida State wins. it ain't a stretch anymore no nah, you might be shaving your head by then anyway <laughs> and I might it might be a dual deal <laughs> um, the other thing that's come out in the last uh, 24 36 probably since the announcement Current players for Florida State have been pretty positive on social media about this, including Tamari and Terry, who said, hey, every recruit that's out there, trust me on this, just give this a little time, you know, kind of, I like what I'm seeing. And there's been a lot of that that's come from other players on the team, which, uh, you know, social media is what it is, but it's better than if they'd have come out and said, yeah, we're taking on water and I'm getting out of here. And all the mouses are leaving the ship. Right. Right, so I took that as a good sign. And Norvell is on the short list for the Eddie Robinson Coach of the Year Award. That's always a nice – now, I say short list. There's about nine names on it, so it's not that short, but he is on that list, which puts you in good company. What else did I miss here? Well, we kind of talked around it, but the fact that there's an offensive coordinator coming in means the end of Bryles, and we presume the uh, – And, and I'll, I'll be the, the first, end not the first,
1: but I'll be one to tell you I hate that because I don't think Kendall had the opportunity – to put together what his offense can do. And you got to remember, I'm a naysayer. I don't like the up-tempo, trying to run 90 plays. I think it puts your defense at a a uh, disadvantage. But it is the way many people are going, and I just hate it that Kendall didn't really have, in retrospect, now that we know about some of the things that may or may not have been said to him about who to play and when to play who, that he was able to showcase what he's able to do. I still think his upside is phenomenal. Uh, I, I think he came in and, and did the best he could do with a situation that was difficult in that he really didn't have a quarterback, at least early in the season, whose skill set matched what he needed. Uh, but based on everything I know, he did his job. He didn't complain. Uh, you know, He was a total professional in how he's done and gone about his business. And uh, I'll be the fir- not the first, but I'll be amongst, I think, many that will wish him well and, and know that he will do well wherever he goes.
0: Yeah, I agree with that, and I wish him well, too. I mean, I didn't know him all that well as we talked about, but I interviewed him weekly for the radio network. And here's the reality. I think this is probably the perception right now. He's been so good everywhere else that I think not being good this year is attached to Taggart and not attached to Bryles. It's an anomaly. And as soon as he gets somewhere else, and if the offense goes right back to where it was at all his other stops, that will be gone, and he'll be a head coach Sooner rather than He might be a head coach at FAU replacing Lane. I mean, that's one of the rumors there. Now, another right. one is that he's going to go with Lane and be his offensive coordinator at Ole Miss. That's a whole other topic, by the way, about Lane. Did you hear his his line about the the tarmac? Have you paid attention to this? I, I, I heard
1: somebody talking about it, but I don't think I caught it correctly, so tell me.
0: Okay, so whenever he lands, it's like a tarmac experience, and he's shaking hands, kissing babies. Side note, he holds this this infant and poses for a picture and hands the child back and whoever it is says get your burner phone which is pretty funny in light of all the issues it <laughs> all missed that maybe he'd get a burner phone but the side note is in the or, or that was the side note in the press conference he was asked about just kind of the experience when he got there and he said well it's better than other tarmac experiences I've had I.e when he was at USC and he got fired <laughs> on the tarmac so all right we're not going to do right. the, the Lane Kiffin show but it was he's gonna be entertaining. Certainly going to be more. He's going to be must see TV in the world of and the division of Nick Saban. Oh, I mean, so that'll be that'll be uh, good stuff. All right, I think we can take a break now. We're we are going to talk about recruiting. Obviously, signing day, early signing period is one week from today. We don't talk a lot about a, a recruiting here, but we're going to get the Osceola's expert uh, Charles Fishbine on the line and and just talk a little bit about. Uh, Well, we'll ask him, but the key, you know, how can you successfully keep a class together and recruit in 10 days? You don't have a staff yet. You don't have inroads in Florida, all those type of ramifications. And as the new coach has said, it's about relationships and you can only do so much with relationships in less than two weeks. We'll have that conversation and more. First, I will remind you though, that Madison social, if you have not yet taken care of the loved ones in your life, you're looking for the stocking stuffer, uh, or maybe it's the main gift put it in a huge box, put a smaller box, then a smaller box, and do that whole thing. And at the very end, it's not a diamond. It's even better. It's like a $1,000 gift card to Madison Social, right? I mean, that's all you really need in your life. You weren't looking for diamonds, were you, Keith? No. No, exactly. So you can make your friends happy. Uh, we appreciate Matt and their longtime support. Whether it's Madison Social, Centrale, Township, Sodo, the list has grown too long for me to remember all the places, uh, but we appreciate their support. All right, we'll take a break. Come back with more on Front Row Knowles. Back on Front Row Knowles, Tom and KJ with you, and we will open up the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together, and say hello to our Osceola insider as we are one week out from signing day. Say hello to Charles Fishbine. How are you, sir?
3: I'm doing great. I appreciate you guys inviting me
0: on. Yeah, happy to have you. Charles is the recruiting expert that the Osceola leans on, and of course, we're one week from early signing day. And it has really changed. Unfortunately, Florida State knows firsthand. Very well, unfortunately. How significant the change from the February date to the early signing date can affect uh, what your recruiting hall looks like. But I guess as a starting point for this conversation, what's a, what, what's a realistic expectation for what Coach Norvell can do named on Sunday and 10 days later is when guys start signing? I mean, what what should we be bracing for, hoping for? What's What's feasible?
3: I think the best-case scenario is you try to keep everybody that's committed uh, to stay committed. It's a very tough situation. It used to be tough when it was just February, but now that these schools um, are firing coaches and signing day, the early signing day is basically right after it seems like the season ended just a couple weeks ago, it puts a lot of pressure on these new staff um, who haven't even put their whole coaching staff together to go out and recruit, you're basically just re-recruiting the guys that are committed to you and hopefully get keep those guys uh, in the boat.
1: Charles, as a naysayer, what, how do you talk to people? What would you say to them uh, when you go down this track? Florida State had commitments, but they were commitments as evaluated by Taggart. The things that Norvell may be looking for are different but yet, it is true, and everybody says you want to keep your commitments. How do you how do you rationalize those two if some of those kids don't fit what you want to do?
3: Yeah, I think the number one thing is is I remember getting in this argument with somebody a few years back about their class, and hey, we should go with somebody on the staff because they'll keep the class together. If you are not winning, the most important thing is is when you get is getting the right head coach in there, um, getting the right staff in there. The recruiting class this year is most likely not going to be that good, and you're going to sacrifice that by bringing in a better staff and a better head coach and worry about that next year and the year after. Um, This year's class is going to just be a bridge uh, class, and hopefully these guys are guys that uh, could uh, be developed, and a lot of them will help provide depth and fill those uh, boys that are in the roster right now. But you can't expect too many Impact players out of this class, and that's what happens when you're going to sacrifice that to bring in a new head coach. It's either you keep the old head coach and all those players stay, uh, and maybe you don't win, or you bring in a new coach uh, and it gives you a new ray of light. A
0: little bit of a tangent here, and we'll get back to FSU. Have you been surprised since the start of the early signing period that so many kids? are signing in december keith and i were the opinion we thought it would be more of an even split and kids would still sign in february i guess they're just afraid the offers will go away so if they're ready they're signing
3: yeah it's smart that they uh sign early most of them because unless you're an elite five-star player that everybody wants um and you kind of control your recruitment not the other way around it's probably best that you sign on the dotted line early uh get get it out of the way. I mean, you've been recruited now for two years. If you don't know by now where you want to go, um, I question whether I'd want that kid on my team.
0: Then the second part of this tangent, do you think the early signing period is here to stay right before Christmas or might it move somewhere else? And maybe I'm just looking at it through the eyes of Florida State's been adversely affected two out of three years now, given where it falls on the calendar.
3: I, I think the NCAA needs to step in and either get rid of it or move it to August. I I just don't think where that is fair. Uh, If you if you decide to fire your coaching staff, you're basically that first class is a wash, and uh, you don't these relationships. People think, oh, you could go in and build a relationship in one week, and that's just not the case. These relationships are usually two three years. A lot of these guys have been recruited uh, since their freshman and sophomore years of high school. Now you're asking a guy to come in in one week and start recruiting guys that, you know, it's a trust factor. These parents and coaches want to be to trust who's recruiting them, and how much trust can they have in somebody that they just met a week ago?
1: Charles, maybe an unfair question, but you obviously know the Southeast and particularly Florida as it relates to the prospects. What, uh, what, what do you hear? What is your personal opinion about Norvell and how he'll fit in when it comes time for him to recruit in the state of Florida?
3: It's going to come down to uh, I think he needs to put a couple guys on his staff that have recruited here before because a lot of the coaches in this state believe in long-term relationships. Uh, I've known Eddie Grant a long time. He's somebody that recruited at Auburn, recruited at um, Old Miss. Then, you know, he went to Florida State. He's been at Tennessee. The coaches know him, uh, whether it's at St. Thomas, Miami Central, a Dillard High School. They recognize that face when he walks in. They know he's done their players right. So a lot of it comes down to relationships. Coach Norvell is going to definitely have to bring in um, some guys with Florida ties. He's going to probably have to go outside his network. Uh, If you look at the coaching staff he had at Memphis, most of those guys recruited uh, Louisiana and Texas really hard. and Those are areas FSU could go in and do well, Uh, but the focus of being in Florida, he's going to have to bring in a couple guys that have spent uh, time here and coaches trust and they believe uh, in what that guy's going to do once their player is on their campus.
0: So to that end, he announced earlier this week that Odell Higgins is going to stay on his staff. He's someone who's obviously recruited Florida and the Lakeland-Bartow area where he's from for a number of years, and that may not be the exact territory now. Uh, well, that is is that that is a question. Are most staff set up where, where everybody has a region, or, or is there a rule of thumb on how staffs uh, set up their recruiting?
3: Every staff's different. Some coaches... Uh, recruit by position, some recruit by region. Uh, Florida State's always been kind of regional. Odell has always done well in Polk County. I expect him to go back in there. I think um, Taggart and the prior staff kind of held it against Odell that he didn't do well at Lakeland. Well, Lakeland High School is not a Florida State school. It's more of a Florida school. Uh, But you saw with the schools like Bartow where Odell came from, they've always done pretty well there. Uh, they've done well at Lakeland, Kathleen. They've done well at some of the other surrounding schools. Payne City is where uh, Derwin James came from. Lakeland just happens to have most of the good players this year, and those kids usually tend to go away from Florida State. Their coaching staff not pro-Florida State, so there's nothing Odell can do um, to really change that, and that's what they kind of moved Odell out of that area this year. I think they need to put him back in there and let him
0: do his thing. Yeah, and thank you for clarifying. I didn't mean Lakeland High School so much as sort of that area of the state, but I know, Keith, you might have done the broadcast. I did a game years ago down there when the, you know, like eight of the kids were signing in Gainesville. It was the Pouncy Twins and Chris Rainey and whoever else was on that with the Dreadnoughts. Um, but so beyond Odell, what's what? how many other coaches with Florida ties should go on the staff in your best case? Is it two? Is it three? I think they
3: need two to three coaches. Uh, I think that, that's fine. Eventually, the other coaches, you look at Urban Meyer when he went to Florida. People are like, well, he was from Ohio. Well, he had Doc Holliday. He had Charlie Strong on that first staff. Doc Holiday spent years and years recruiting the state of Florida, whether he was at NC State or other schools, so it was a natural fit, and they got them in the door. Once you're in the door and you build those relationships, at the end of the day, it's going to come down to Norvell. Uh, he's the head coach. These It's They're going to have to feel comfortable uh, with him as the head coach, and um, then he can bring guys in that don't have Florida ties, but they could, you know, get in the mix uh, because of the relationships with the prior coaches.
1: And, Charles I think our, our the average fan doesn't appreciate the fact that the you know the groundwork has to be done by the assistants because the head coach is restricted in what he can do particularly when it comes to meeting face to face with the kids you know it's you know the age old thing the coach Bowden who I played for you know he didn't come in until the last minute he, he came in to close he was the closer he was the closer yes. all the other you know grunt work as it were has to be done by those assistants
3: well what's killed recruiting is all the rule changes, you used to be able to go out in the spring as a head coach and recruit in spring football. Now you really are bringing your coach in. Like you said, most coaches now are just closers because what are they going to recruit in August or September or October? They just can't. They're, the season's going on. So basically most of the recruiting is done by the assistants. They're relying on them. And then the head coach is uh, either meeting these kids when they come on campus for summer camp or they come on campus for their official or unofficial visits. But the head coach now has very little uh, time to spend with these recruits and recruit them. It's not like it used to be. Uh, I remember uh, when I first got in this business, I would see Grace Siano when he was at Rutgers. You'd see uh, Jimbo come down. I think he was like the, when he was at Florida State, the first year he was there was the last year head coaches were really able to come down. But you would see these head coaches at great football games. They eliminated that, so now the window of where a head coach can actually go out and recruit is so small. You have like basically maybe a month or two top for a head coach to really go on the road and people to get to know him.
0: Jimbo used to call it a lazy man's rule when that got passed because he wanted to be out there and recruit. That's one of the things Jimbo did well was evaluate, and then he got the benefit, I guess, because his kid Trey played – football too so he could go to some of the camps and and at least see some of the other prospects so going back to to getting some assistance with florida ties is ron dugan's a candidate then to stay on staff or do you have any thoughts on where norvell may be leaning
3: well i spoke to a coach yesterday uh from miami palmetto mike Manasco. he's a guy that has a lot of good football players they're recruiting one of his receivers this year and mike said listen you know you know i like florida state you know i you know i I don't mind my kids going there, but I I know Coach Dugan. I don't know who they're going to bring in to recruit there, so I think for that coach, um, this year having a recruit, it's probably wise that they keep Dugan for at least a year until that next, whoever's going to take this spot, um, can get comfortable with these other coaches down here. I just It's a trust factor. I know a lot of people are like, hey, you put that Florida State logo on, you walk in the door and, and kids and coaches are going to want to go there the only thing that logo does is it gets you to the front of the line it's going to get you a lot but that logo it's no different than alabama walking there clemson miami florida it gets you to the front of the line you still have to have relationships and people trust you as a coach to go in there and land their players
0: we're talking with charles fishbein our osceola insider broad conversation about recruiting here uh, we'll go specific after one more question, and and understanding what you just said that Norvell, you know, he's going to be a closer because he's just not out there enough, but he needs to develop these relationships. What's the general word from high school coaches, uh, other than the fact that they may, and they don't know him, which is a legitimate point? Um, have you heard much in terms of yeah, I met him when he was at Memphis, or he's done good things, or is he just an unknown commodity?
3: He's an unknown commodity. The reality is, if FSU wins these coaches are going to like them. if he doesn't win they're not they're going to find a reason not to send their kids there and what's crazy is they it it's it, it, it's one of those situations where you need the players to win but they're not going to send them till you win so you're kind of you're going to have to overachieve until um a lot of these coaches uh trust to send their kids to florida state and play for the uh, coach Norbell.
0: all right let's go to the specifics now so Widely documented that Florida State has not been able to sign a, a quarterback out of high school for several years. The, the year Jimbo left, one of the kids that was interested went to Texas A&M, another went to Florida. Last year, Sam Howell was committed all year, and then when Walt Bell left, Sam Howell went to North Carolina and did great things. Now, since February of this past year, Jeff Sims has not only been committed and as a quarterback, but he's really been the leader and a cheerleader for Florida State among other recruits, and today news comes out that he is decommitted and he's not going to talk to anybody between now and when he signs next week at nine am so I guess two part question is there any chance Florida State gets him back and the second part, are there any other high school quarterbacks that FSU might get?
3: Yeah, it's right now the picking the pickings are slim um I don't you saw what happened last year Florida State tried to get on some guys late. Uh, there are some guys in the state of Florida uh, that are committed. There's a uh, quarterback at Deerfield Beach that's committed to Tulane right now that I think would fit, uh, you know, uh, not Bryles, but Coach Norvell's system um, at Florida State. But there's not a lot for them to choose from right now. And Jeff Sims was one of the best quarterbacks. Now, I know people say he's raw, and he's. Listen, I remember telling. Uh, coaches that came down here about Lamar Jackson and they told me he can't throw the football. He's too raw. I think sometimes these kids are over-evaluated. My thing is is the kid a leader? Is he a winner? Does he have the physical tools? Is he coachable? Sometimes you got to overlook what they look like now because a lot of these guys haven't, you know, you look at a lot of the quarterbacks, uh nationwide. Most of them have had quarterback coaches since they were 9, 10 years old. Of course they're polished. Jeff Sims hasn't had that. Um, he hasn't been one of these guys that's uh, been babied for you know the, the last four or five years. But the talent's there, and I think this is a big loss. Um, I think that it's going to be very tough this year to find a quarterback. You're probably going to have to find somebody that hasn't signed early and try to get in on, in on them on February. And hopefully, for their sake, they're able to sign someone. I, I really think they have to... Sign at least two high school quarterbacks this year, uh, considering the depth chart at Florida State and what it looks like and what they've gone through the last couple of years. It's the most important position. You can't win in college football anymore without a quarterback. You need one, um, and it's been proven. You see what Sam Howell did this year. If you put Sam Howell at FSU this year, uh, fsu's probably eight and four, and Taggart's still probably the heck
0: coach well that's the point Keith and I have talked about because you know we're already starting to do the look at next year 's schedule and the roster has so many holes and and all that's true, but if you get a quarterback, it might be worth two wins, and two wins is pretty significant because you 're to your point Taggart you know if last year is is seven wins ultimately or at least you make a bowl and this because you had a quarterback and this year you get two more he he 's still here I am looking and i uh, you probably can ascertain because we're not asking a lot of specifics. I don't. I don't follow recruiting that closely. I, I know it broadly. I used to follow it more closely years ago with the Osceola. Actually, um, I'm just looking at Twitter and some. The last high quarterback apparently got an offer from Florida State, and I know you're a Florida expert. Are you familiar with him at all? And 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 back yeah. to back to Sims is, is Sims definitely out or might he still be swayed by next week?
3: I think the toughest thing is this, Mike. Mike Sims was recruited by a former coach on the prior staff. That relationship goes all the way back to when um, he coached his uncle at UCF. Um, So it makes it very difficult. I think his trust and who he believes, it's a trust factor. He just met Norvell. I think it's going to be very hard for them to flip him uh, between now and signing day. This is a big loss. Uh, I'm a big Jeff Sims fan. I think he has as up, as much upside as any quarterback that's come out of the state of Florida the last couple of years. I've seen guys like him before that have been raw, and uh, they do very well in college. Uh, the guy that I was thinking about before is Michael Pratt. He's at Deerfield Beach. He's more of a pro style quarterback that can uh, move around a little bit. He's similar to what the quarterback at Memphis, probably a little better arm. So Norvell may want to look at Michael Pratt. He's he has a 4.5 or 5.0 GPA, so he's a smart kid. I think he can come in right away. He's not going to be a starter, but he's a guy that they could develop and potentially have a starter down the road. He's going to two lane right now, uh, but he's someone that they may want to get in on.
1: I think the Florida State faithful, as we wrap up here, Charles, would, would say, well, please, please tell us they've got some shots at some office, offensive linemen. Can, can we bring some big bodies in, please?
3: Yeah, I – the whole thing with offensive alignment, it, it's crazy. I feel like we've been having this conversation for over 10 years now uh, with fixing this problem. It started with Jimbo and Trickett and it went to Coach Fry. And now, you know, um, I, I thought Clemens did a pretty good job this year with what they had to work with. But I've always felt offensive line, it's not about ranking as much as you got to sign a lot of them. It's a numbers thing. you got to throw. I think they have to bring in five high school kids this year, maybe one or two Jucos and a couple grad transfers, the only way they're going to get out of this mess on the the offensive line, they got to keep bringing in numbers. And you got to just process kids uh, that can't play. So you bring in five, six, seven kids a year, they'll get out of this mess eventually. But they have to bring them in. The biggest problem that she's had on the O-line is the unbalanced classes. you look at the class with Brady Scott, he was the only offensive lineman in their class. And he turned, he's turned out to be a solid player, maybe not a great starter or whatever. But they need to uh, bring in more body, bringing guys with uh, the attributes like a, a Lloyd Willis. A Lloyd Willis, a very raw kid. But here's a kid at 6'8", 290 pounds, played basketball two years ago. And he loves football. Uh, a lot of people watch his highlights film and they're like, oh, he's not that good. This is a kid that played on the D-line this year, uh, played on the O-line. And he's the one that asks the coaches after the game, hey, coach, what can I do to get better? How do I get better? What do I need to do? And I think that's very big uh, when you're talking about a prospect like that. Uh, He's a developmental guy, but they need to bring in more and more pieces uh, on the offensive line for them to get through this and finally get to – FSU just needs an offensive line that's average at this point, and that will be a big step up from what they've had the last three or four years.
0: Trust me, we're aware. (laughs) Hey, so uh, we'll we'll, we'll wrap this thing up. But, uh, you know, as soon as the news broke about Auburn's offensive coordinator, immediately people who are plugged in look and say, oh, he's the lead recruiter on three JUCO offensive linemen, and who knows when the news will break about the defensive coordinator. But the basic question is, is it realistic to think that, uh, you know, and maybe this is best case, Florida State hangs on to 75% of the guys who had been committed, and somehow with their new coaching staff, they get they find two or three others, and maybe Norvell's got one or two that come from Memphis. I mean, is that how this is going to shake out by next week?
3: Yeah, I, I think that's how it's going to work out. You look at when Jeremy Pruitt came from Alabama. He, bought it, he brought it to Marcus Walker and a Jalen Ramsey with him. So you you watch the, the guys at Auburn. You know he's recruiting guys that are good enough to play in the SEC. You hope for your sake that when you bring him in, one or two of those guys are coming with him. Uh, I know they don't want to really recruit guys that they were recruiting to another school, but it doesn't work that way. These coaches, part of the reason they get hired is they're like, hey, listen, I could bring this guy with me, I could bring that guy with me. Or they don't get hired. Uh, Yes, those relationships are there, but Norvell wants some of those players that he's recruiting at Auburn. Uh, And that's why he's bringing them in as well as just being a good coach
0: makes sense uh, anything else we failed to cover that for the good of our audience you want to share
3: <laughs> i think you know it, the excitement there with having a new coach and you got to sit back and see what happens i i think the first signing day you you try to re-sign as many of the guys that have committed take a deep breath look at what you have to on the board and attack those areas on that second signing day hopefully they get a lot of these guys locked down so then there's not as many holes going into that second signing day, and they could focus on one or two areas and not five or six.
0: Charles, really good insight. We appreciate it. Uh, thanks for what you're doing and for joining us on the show. No, thank you for
3: having
2: me.
0: Charles Fishbein, our Osceola Insider this week. A lot to react to. Keith and I will uh, do that right after we do this on Front Row Knowles. <laughs>
2: Front Row Knowles is brought to you by the Osceola, dedicated to FSU sports and fan experiences. Sign up for a free trial at theosceola.com or call 833-FSU-NEWS.
0: I have two sets of two words that come to mind in light of the news about Jeff Sims. Uh Uh-oh. That's two syllables. Is that actually two words? No. Transfer portal. I heard of it. Jordan Travis. Heard of him, too. This is where we may be over the next several weeks now, given the news of Jeff Sims. What I worry about as we record this is that Jeff Sims, as I mentioned, was the cheerleader for Florida State, and who else might defect? Another thing that gets talked about, and I mentioned it earlier, but we didn't go down this road. One of the things you got a chance to do as the new coach and you do get face-to-face contact, is to re-recruit the guys currently on your roster, of which Tamari and Terry is one, and he has a decision to make. Tweeted positive things this week about Norvell, which is not to say that he might not actually... He, he's asked for his NFL evaluation. He might still decide to go pro. But if you can keep him, if you can keep some guys who might think about transferring, might think about turning pro, that's a first step. the The whole
1: changing of a coach creates unbelievable problems. And uh, you've heard me talk about the permutations and combinations when you start multiplying things. Who he picks on his staff, and you heard Charles talk about the fact that, you know, there needs to be a couple of three guys that at least are familiar with the Florida landscape. Um, and and the, the head coach's inability to spend time evaluating as much as they would like to. So you got to adapt. you, you just got to make it work and find a way to make it work. A couple of three things that jumped out at me with his comments, though. Number one, I, I, we had talked a little bit about, but, you know, Florida State and offensive linemen, you know, I've been of the opinion that even under Jimbo that Florida State would target, you know, four- and five-star kids and go after them, and everybody else had them targeted, and Florida State would get their share, but they would lose out on two or three that – you know They really had no chance to get, but they committed resources and time and effort to try. And what you hear him saying is you need to target a couple of three of those, and then you need to target four or five, three stars and four stars,
0: and, and bring in quantity. Quantity was his biggest Is point. the thing. Because Florida State's had years where they've signed five to seven, but then you go and sign one or two. He's saying you've got to sign seven every offensive year. linemen every year. And the one area of Florida State, and I don't know about Norvell, I haven't looked at what he's done in Memphis but FSU of late what they've signed the most of I feel like is DBs that are kind of hybrid maybe they become an outside linebacker maybe if need be like uh on on Tyre Wilson you switch him over to receiver right. but they've they're signed consistently signing 10 of those guys and the trenches is a big concern on the offensive line also on the defensive line they need some beef there too agreed and you know way back in the day my time frame,
1: you know, you would sign a bunch of quarterbacks out of high school because you didn't have the seven-on-seven. Seven, you didn't have the personal training. They they were just gener- generally your quarterback was your better athlete of the entire school. And so you'd bring him in and make him a defensive back. Or even, you know, in the case of uh, Reggie Herring, he was a running back in high school. And uh, Paul Porowski, I think, was a tight end. And and so you moved them into positions. You don't do that much these days, but certainly the the whole quantity – Versus quality issue uh, does come into play because of the attrition that you have on the offensive side. Secondly, um, I, I was pleased to hear that there's still um, value in relationships, and and I think that if Norvell's given the opportunity, he brings in the right staff. That staff works the Florida marketplace. Much like Coach Bowden's staff did, and, and you can you can fault Jimbo for a lot of things, but recruiting wasn't one of them. He was out there every opportunity he had until it was restricted in in his ability to evaluate talent and to build those relationships. Norvell seems like a guy that that would want that opportunity to build that relationship, and therefore those high school coaches and others would be comfortable recommending their kids to come to Florida State. And I and I guess the the third thing that you know we don't cover. Uh, recruiting that much just because you're in my nature. But I, I, I know enough that I'm, I'm fearful the Sims announcement, and I, I think I'm echoing what you just said, uh, the Sims announcement doesn't bode well for Florida State over the next uh, seven days. I, I think there will be other kids that say, well, if Jeff's going to do this, then maybe I need to do this. The and,
0: curious thing there is he stayed committed for five weeks knowing not knowing who his new head coach would be. Then three days after head coach has announced he's going to decommit, so does that mean that he didn't like what he's heard so far, or does that mean that there's been so much negative recruiting, or even if it's not negative recruiting, he just sat back and keeps asking the question, I don't know what it's going to look like because I don't know enough about this, so I'm going somewhere else where it's no where I can at least look at what the tape of their offense looked like last I, year, and I, we don't know the answer. I now. go back
1: to the answer I gave that you always disagreed with me about You know how Coburn probably shouldn't have mentioned – the end of November or the end of the season. And I told you, in my opinion, he did that to the Jeff Sims of the world to say don't do anything until we name our head coach. And I think we've now named our head coach. I think Sims and his people have done their research, good, bad, or indifferent, and now they've made a
0: decision. Well, to your point, by hanging on, and being committed uh, or making that comment, and again, I still don't agree with that, but maybe that is what it was. It, it prevented kids potentially from taking other visits because they were still committed. So they've got one weekend left. I, I don't know what the rationale is, but it's going to lead to people being concerned that Florida State simply can't sign a. But, and the other quarterback that whose name was out there, not a freshman, was the Houston quarterback who if Bryles stayed, maybe he goes. So it'd be really interesting to see if Bryles lands at Ole Miss with Lane if all of a sudden here comes how about how about Charles's
1: comment that we don't want to admit to that by making a quarter excuse me a head coach change at this time of the year you sacrifice a recruiting class well and you you have alluded and, and kind of spoken to that half heartedly if not wholeheartedly during this time that that's another one of the unintended consequences of the december
0: signing period we are looking at it through florida state garnet and gold eyes where it's happened twice out of three years but there's 15 or 20 coaching changes every year and you're just you're handicapping your new head coach by where it is right now so charles is much more plugged in than we are he covers recruiting he he said the ncaa's got to change it and move it to august i think more and more schools will be on board with that if they go through this they once they
1: experience it because you know it's one thing to, to actually feel it another thing to watch it when it happens in your own backyard, you're paying much closer attention, in our case, Florida State's case, two out of the last three years it's happened.
0: we got to uh, talk about the Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl. We'll do that right after this on Front Row Knowles.
2: I rolled up. this guy grew dark. I put the pedal down to make some time. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by The Osceola, dedicated to FSU sports and fan experiences. Sign up for a free trial at theosceola.com or call 833-FSU-NEWS.
0: Back on Front Row Knowles, just a couple minutes more. Should point out, and we'll, I guess we're done with the recruiting, but Florida State did apparently uh, extend an offer to the Valdosta High quarterback who's been committed to USF. At this point, Keith Speaking of quantity on offensive line, maybe Florida State needs to just sign 20 offensive linemen and then send pictures of them to all prospective quarterback recruits. So a quarterback might raise his hand and say, well, I'm willing to go there.
1: Well, you, you mentioned Travis earlier. Uh, I think that puts in... – Blackman is back, by the way. Yeah, well, and and based on what little bit I've seen of the Memphis offense, it doesn't require him to, to make a, a true RPO read – like you do in the Bryles offense? Well,
0: one thing, and we haven't talked a lot about this, but if you study Memphis, and and Coach Norvell mentioned this, he's going to adapt his system to, his to, the, to the personnel he has. So he's going to go into this Sun Bowl preparation where Odell's coaching, and he'll start getting the lay of the land and figure out what he has. And uh, In other words, if Florida State can't block it up, he's not going to have seven-step drops and let your quarterback get killed. You know, and if the better play is to run, or the better play is multiple times, whatever it is, he's going to adapt to that. So of that, I'm confident. Maybe there's another – maybe they get a high school kid. You're going to have to hit the transfer portal. And by the way, the good news there is that every backup quarterback in America is is about a nanosecond away from being in the transfer portal if they're not already there. So there, w- there will be guys out there. What you need is a Christian Ponder type who got his degree in two years and he's graduated, so you can get him and at least get two or three years. That's what you need. Well, and you're right about that because with what
1: Fields has been able to do uh, and and some of the other transfers, if you're the backup.
0: Well, the whole playoffs is, is transfers. Yeah, right? you I know, Hurts.
1: Exactly. I mean, you now have a, LSU. have a track record that it can happen and it, and it can be done. Uh, I, I, for one, think that, you know, you hone in on some high school quarterbacks, you try to bring them in, but. That, you know that's going to take a period of time. Uh, that's not, You're not going to get immediate success out of that.
0: Sun Bowl. I, lo- I love El Paso. I've actually been there. Yeah, so uh, we'll be there. 2 o'clock Eastern kick. Arizona State. I like the matchup. So the downside of the matchup is you lose, and it's another losing season two out of three years. But I'd rather play somebody, at least from a Power 5 conference. I didn't watch Arizona State play all this year, except for the game where they beat Oregon. And... They hit a 75- or 80-yard touchdown pass, which given the way our defensive backfield plays look this year, that concerns me a little bit. Well, Arizona State favored by 5.5, and, and I think the over-under is around 55, somewhere in there. I, I like the fact that we'll, we'll
1: hopefully get to hear. We may not be able to spend any time with him, but we'll hear, get to hear from Herm Edwards. He's always been one of the more colorful uh, you know, college, uh, NFL coaches and one of the few, I say few, that have been able to transition from – nfl back to college and has success at it uh and and i think he's a quality guy i I think his program what he's done with that program is very interesting and, and very worth watching uh and and i actually played against arizona state one time if anybody cares so there well thanks for sharing 1979 we played in tampa i don't know why we played in tampa but we played in tampa and the result was we we whipped frank cush and
0: the arizona state team pretty good you know the rainstorm the biggest miss in florida state history regarding arizona state is that there was no bcs in 1996 or bowl coalition in which case florida state would have played jake Plummer and arizona state for the title instead of having to play florida again that's what comes to mind for me when I think Florida State, Arizona State. Also met in the first Fiesta Bowl, I guess, and I, and I'm just, when I was one. Yeah.
1: We're out of time. I'm just impressed that you can remember things like that.
0: Well, I don't remember much, but uh, and I'm not even remembering this, but our producer's telling us we're out of time, so I'm done. He's Keith. I'm Tom. We'll talk to you next week. See ya. I'll see you